Getting cold, no? Yeah. New get, season. I had to get the scarves on. Yeah. It's getting a bit chilly. Um, Especially, yeah, around the neck. Oh, well, that's where you put the scarves, yeah. Has Israel always been this savage, or did I just notice it recently? Huh? There's a lot of assumptions in that question, Neil. 8,000 dead. Ah, come on. Well, I did some checking and operations cast lead and um, unstoppable protective edge, whatever they were. So 2008, 2014, 1,500 civilians and whoever they claim were Mm. Hamas fighters dead in Gaza. I think the latest passing last night was over 8,000 now. Mm. But they're only... um a protective Edge is 2014. Yeah, Operation Protective Edge in 2014. Um, they're only telegenically dead, though. Eh? Those Palestinians. You that, to, the best a complex word. What does that mean? I, you don't remember telegenically dead. Um, that sounds like something Netanyahu once said. <laughs> That's exactly what he once said. That's right. I did remember it. Uh, telegenically. It means to be looking good for the cameras. Mm. To be doing something for the cameras. Yeah. Posing. Um. Throwing shapes, as we say in Ireland. No. Well, just uh, not to... Uh, not to... Do any kind of self-promotion or anything like that. Um, but maybe just to point out... Not, this doesn't even point out how long... Uh, we've been doing this, but because um, it's only 2014. But I could give other examples going back another ten years before that. Um, this hmm. is my blog, and it was ju- in July 2014. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's telegenically dead Palestinians. Um, so Bibi sought to explain why in the space of a few hours Israeli soldiers, this is in 2014, under his orders had massacred 63 people, including 17 children, in the Sujaya neighborhood in the east of Gaza City. He said, we have to protect ourselves. We try to target the rocketeers, we do. And all civilian casualties are not intended by us, but actually intended by Hamas, who want to pile up as many children dead as they can because somebody said they used telegenically dead Palestinians for the cause. They want them more the better. You may have heard that refrain recently. It may remind you of something that uh, you've heard in in the past couple of weeks. And that's because it was pretty much the same thing that's been said ad nauseum over and over again. And it goes back, you know, even 10 years or more before this. Uh, So you're talking 20 plus years of them saying exactly the same thing every time they kill a bunch of Palestinians. It's that it's really the Palestinians' fault, or at least their leaders. But it's their fault, really, ultimately, because if they follow anybody who causes Israel any problems, then Israel has to kill them, you know, the Palestinians in general, so... Um, well, that answers my question, then. Telegenically dead Palestinians for the cause. So he's ascribing agency or intent on the part of Hamas to seek as many dead hmm. among their own. Well... Jesus, now that I say it like that, that shit does happen in the world in general. Um, Hamas in Gaza doesn't have any opportunity for that. 
It actually reminds me of October 7th. But anyway, um, which is really starting to, to smell. I mean, it smelled to us at the time, of course. Remember, we, we suggested a Lee hop, let it happen on purpose. But there's a bit more involved in that. I, I'll just refer people to Max Blumenthal's article. He's the latest to post a very good analysis. There's a few people in the world who can actually read the Hebrew-only articles that he picked up an intense, not intense, but yeah, fairly detailed, what I called for about three weeks ago, for someone to do an actual rundown on who, what, where was killed on October 7th. Haaretz, the sort of lefty newspaper in Israel, kind of did that as best they could with the limited information the Israeli government has published. Um, And based on that, Blumenthal's got a... A fuller, let's say, a fuller picture of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the specific locations where Apache helicopter, Hellfire drone missiles, um, and tank shells just obliterated in, entire kibbutzes, every house at least was leveled. Hence the images we saw a few days later. Which were ascribed to Hamas, right? Mm-hmm. Of having caused that, but they didn't have the firepower to do the damage that was done on October 7th. Anyway, just, you know, speaking of telegenically dead people for the cause. Um, yeah. Yeah, so obviously everyone knows what's happening in Gaza. There's nothing really to add, because, in part because there's hardly any footage of late or information coming out from there because it, before the latest onslaught began Friday night, the Israelis cut off all comms. The, I have heard they're trying to restore PAL-TEL, Palestinian t- telecoms, are having some success bringing some things back online. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, thankfully <clears throat> we can always rely on the Israelis to publish some footage. Um, published yesterday, the Israeli military um, said they had released, uh, struck more than 450 targets in Gaza. That's over the day yesterday, Saturday, and published this video. Go ahead and play that. Uh, distinctly grainy and old school. Um, no, one, no one should ever complain about the Russians' footage from Ukraine ever again. Um, but you still get the picture very, very clearly. Notice the as well. Now that I mentioned Ukraine, how this difference this is in in Ukraine, the Russians can uh, really do a limited strike. They can actually take out one person in a bedroom, which they did in Odessa about half a year ago, and just take the bedroom. The IDF is more like, eh, let's just level the entire neighborhood. Because that's some heavy ass ordinance they're using. All American, of course. Again, according to the IDF, this is all just yesterday. Yep. Um, what else do we have on the specific immediate situation? Um, you, everyone remembers they were talking about, oh, we're going in, we're going in, ground, ground war, but... It appears the Americans told them to wait, not for the sake of peace, of course, but for the sake of, quote, doing it right. Um, There are rumors the Iranian news agency 
don't know how they would know that, but maybe it's just counter-propaganda, right? They claim that um, ground assaults have begun at uh, night especially in the last few days and that up to 5,000 American troops are directly involved in that. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, that could be the case, but I'm, I'm going to go with not. Um, I doubt the Americans will be saying, whoa, whoa, hold up, hold up, only to actually send in 5,000 um, directly into Gaza. Um, nevertheless, there is a massive, massive buildup of U.S. force in the Mediterranean at the moment. Um, people have heard that it's you know four aircraft carrier groups. That translates to 73 ships. You know, the carriers, warships, um, the smaller ones, the USS Bataan, other like some are personnel carriers, mm-hmm. some some have tanks and Osprey helicopters in the in the hold below. I mean they're big ships. There's mm-hmm. a lot a lot of material. Um Yeah, that's and that's not they're not there to uh, obviously to uh to provide help, cover for Israel. To help Israel in 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 Gaza. Like obviously Israel doesn't need any help with Gaza at all. So uh, it suggests. I mean, the US has done that in the past um, at different times. It, it's fond of you know exercising its fleet because what else are they going to do, right? Just tool around and uh, you know mm-hmm. do nothing, nothing, or stay stay in stay in the dock, stay in port, or or just not do much at all. Um, so they always take the opportunity to you know exercise the legs. If you know what I mean? Uh, the sea but, legs. The sea legs, but. Um, this one seems like a little bit more, uh, more involved and more concerted, um, and I suppose just the context around it in terms of um, there seems to be a, a bigger plan, um, especially if we're talking about uh, Israel's nine eleven was also an inside job, uh, which it almost undoubtedly was given the evidence. And uh, the only reason anybody would disagree with that is because they have some emotional need to not believe that that's true rather rather than have any any problem with the facts. The facts strongly suggest that uh, Israel deliberately and consciously facilitated the Hamas breakthrough uh, of the of the Gaza well, Gaza border and then in the in the ensuing seven or eight hours when there was very little and there were a response. There was um, uh, Israeli when the Israelis actually did respond, they activated their um, Hannibal directive, which is basically we can actually just pull that up. Do you have Hannibal? Send the, send the Hannibal directive to, on Wikipedia to, to Scott here. Um, the Hannibal directive being the Israeli policy of not trying to save any hostages if they're being held with "quote unquote" terrorists to simply. Destroy them all. You know, use overwhelming firepower mm. to kill everybody, including the hostages. Um, you can just throw that up there, and uh, just yeah. so you know that it's not—it's oh, not us just spitballing. Um, this the Hannibal directive. This this, con- uh, this contradicts something I, I said in our last show, and maybe uh, maybe the two can be made consistent. I don't know. I had said that Hamas's strategy of getting hostages ought to work in their favor because of high-profile mm-hmm. cases in the past, mm-hmm. like Shalit Galil, Shalit, the 18-year-old IDF kid who was pulled over from South Lebanon, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was eventually exchanged many years later, alive, 
for something like 5,000 Palestinian political prisoners. Mm-hmm. However, this also is a real thing. Mm-hmm. It seems that it's selectively applied. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Depending on the situation, um, depending on whether it's, it's needed or whether it's politically expedient to actually, uh, you know, save hostages or not save hostages, whatever whatever yeah. works for your political agenda. Because obviously, we're talking here about, uh, for people in the real world, you know, governments don't care about people, right? They don't really care about the lives. The Israeli government doesn't care about the lives of Jews. The Israeli government, uh, or the American government doesn't care about the lives of Americans, etc., uh, etc. Et around, around most of the Western world. Unless it's part of, it's, it's being shaped, there's a narrative story going on where it would be politically too beneficial to do so. Yeah, but that's not caring about, that's what I mean. Yes, yeah, right. I'm talking about in terms of how ordinary people when think they that the government care about them. When they, they don't care about When they do, so quote, negotiate with terrorists, when they do, quote, uh, get hostages back. The mm. United States Iranian hostages, mm. Le- Lebanon hostages in the 1980s, for mm. example. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but ultimately, uh, fundamentally, uh, they don't care. I mean, the point is, if you yeah. care about people, you care about them all the way. It's, it's not a, it's not something that's kind of like, well, today it's not politically expedient for me to care about them, so I'm not going to care about them. That suggests you don't actually care about them. That, that, that's kind of what I'm saying. So, um, so the the Hamas get, you know, Hamas breaks through. Uh, apparently, you know. That, that most surveilled border, let's say, in the world, possibly, um, uh, it's just not working that day. Hamas breaks through, has seven or eight hours to just run around the kibbutzim in the, in the vicinity of Gaza and and a few military bases, you know, kill a few soldiers, whoever were there, and um, then try to take hostages. But then at a certain point, before the actual um, Israeli response, which apparently took, according to report, you know, I've actually verified reports about seven hours, an official response. We have actual military coming in to try and take on <coughs> Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad uh, militants in the kibbutzim. At some point before that, because there's a, there's a, there isn't, a, I haven't seen a specific timeline about when the actual rave was attacked, and I think it was attacked relatively early in the morning. Um, it was one of the first things that were, they were actually attacked, and uh, my hunch is that the fifty guys who appeared at the at the at that rave, um, at least for for part of the time, or were, were first there, were probably Israeli operatives who just decided to kill a bunch of people to increase the increase the body count of Israelis, uh, and then um, at, there was maybe sporadic, a few different. You know, there were some members of the police, there were some members of the IDF who who just happened to be there on foot, but there was no organised. Uh, Attack or, or, or counterattack by the IDF. There was a seven-hour period before anything really significant happened. But in that time, we're told fourteen hundred um, Israelis were killed, uh, and we still don't know who half of them were. At least that those names haven't been yeah, released. The names half of about them. half of them have been released, and half of those, so a quarter of the total amount, so, so about 300, 350, were IDF personnel. Uh, and the, or or police or police or yeah. members of, members of the security yeah. forces, um, so yeah, that seemed to be the kind of the general the general timeline of it, where the the rave was attacked first, um, then there was some pushback from, like I said, police or few few members of the ADF who had weapons or who were in the vicinity, whatever. Um, but then when um, and Palestine the the, the Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Islamic Jihad uh, 
spokespersons or leaders, or whatever, claim that they didn't go to kill any civilians. They hadn't. They didn't kill any civilians with a, with the you know deliberate intent that um, they were there to take. They were there to basically attack the Israeli security forces, take bases, and take hostages if they could. So it seems that when the Israelis actually did respond to the whole situation, they applied this Hannibal Directive, which was just destroy houses. And there's testimony again from actual Israelis who are in those kibbutzim on, on Israeli media saying that uh, most of the people were killed in the crossfire, as in they were, we were attacked by the Israeli... We and, we and, the, the, and the Hamas militants were attacked by the Israeli uh, military forces and a lot of people were killed in that shootout. They also used... Uh, tanks, probably RPGs, they destroyed houses. There's videos of completely destroyed houses, like blown up basically um, beyond anything that the, and, and with, with ordnance that the, the Palestinian militants did not have. So, anyway, there's no point in us going through all the details, all no. the details are publicly available that suggest, strongly suggest that that, strongly, strongly suggest that the, that, that the events of October 7th were. Uh, allowed to happen, which then imply, imply, imply strongly implies that they were planned well in advance because you don't just plan that kind of thing. If it's if it's, the, if it's a really inside job, let's say it, it doesn't get planned a day or two in advance, it gets planned several months in advance, and that then speaks to the US being there with multiple aircraft carriers, and it speaks to it being a perhaps part of a, a bigger a bigger planned um, yeah series. Scott, of events can you just put that up while we're talking about this? Um, this is the article by Blumenthal. People should definitely check that. So he's not—he's not the only one who's been translating Hebrew media, but um, this one's uh, extensive, fairly extensive, if, especially focusing on the one of the kibbutzes in particular, where the the woman who was on Israeli radio yeah. managed to escape because her her particular captor gave up and came out alive with her, and everyone else was killed. Um, check that out, Grey Zone. Um, that's that's gone pretty much viral. Um, I see, just go down a little bit. A separate report published in Haaretz noted that the Israeli military was compelled to request an airstrike yeah, against its own facility inside the Haaretz crossing in Gaza in order to repulse the terrorists. So I, I've, I've seen I've, I've seen the specific um, statement translated by the the commander of that base. It's 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 the example of like I. It, you could put that down to hysteria, genuine. So imagine they were genuinely surprised for a second, especially the actual staff in the Eretz crossing, which is the main entry exit point for Gaza. Northern Gaza. They're yeah. genuinely like, "Oh my god, I didn't. What the hell's going on here?" And there is footage of them. Well, I'm not sure it's from there. It could have been could have been at the base elsewhere. Mm. Um, of people coming in. And shooting people hiding on their desks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they're overrun. But after the fact now, we're hearing from someone else who's obviously a spokesman for the IDF saying that the commander, who's no longer with us because he's dead, mm-hmm. himself called in an airstrike mm-hmm. on his own head. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the stuff of like, that's movie stuff that mm-hmm. doesn't really happen in the real world. You, you don't, you try and avoid that situation, you know, until you, until it's. Yeah, but he may have been put in a position where he had no, uh, he, for whatever reason, was there, but he had no, he was getting no response, he was getting no help, basically. I mean, that, that's uh, consistent yeah. with a stand-down order, basically. Yeah, yeah it's it nuts. Whether or not he got the airstrike, we don't know. But 
I I think I yeah I think they did yeah don't know. don't know but anyway um, the yeah this is I suppose this is neither here nor there everyone's going to remember it as they always do with these things that Hamas started this blah mm. blah, blah. Um, and that that's, this is what justifies everything that's coming since um, the I've mentioned yeah I've mentioned that the, what the death toll is now um, uh, <clears throat> in the past these Israeli bombings of Gaza have come to an end and they've reverted to the status quo pretty much. They've stopped, right? Um, this is different, though. Say that again, the bombing... In, in, the, in the past, yeah. these bombings have stopped and the situation's reverted to as it was. But do you, do you believe Netanyahu and others when they say this time is different? They're, what do you mean in the past that they've stopped... The bombings took place for X period of time. They killed X number of people and it stopped. And Gaza was still Gaza. In, in, pre, in the past, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Gaza is, is no more though this time, right? It's, are they all... Yeah, no, I mean, it seems, like I said, it seems, I mean, they've been pretty clear that, that, their, that their agenda seems to be to, I mean, they've said it themselves more or less, that their agenda is to, is to remove, I mean, this... Their, their official agenda is to remove all trace of Hamas in Gaza. Um, but to do that, obviously, they're going to have to go in and deal with all the tunnels and all that kind of stuff. And actually, so, um, and that's why they've said also officially, they've, they've sent out this dude, some dude uh, sent out a, and by dude I mean some member of the ADF spokesman, whatever, said... Um, sent an urgent message uh, yesterday just to the residents of Gaza in English at a time when they had no internet telling them that they needed to, people in the north of Gaza needed to move south, move into the south because, you know, uh, we're going to destroy the north basically and then we're going to move in at some point. But they're not going to move in apparently. Apparently when Biden came and, uh, and obviously not Biden but the, the actual advisors that controlled Biden's brain in, in the US came and, and convinced the Israelis that they... Uh, Convinced now that a, an actual full-scale invasion was a bad idea. Um, you don't need to do that. Um, it's 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 also dangerous. It's probably not going to work out the way you want it to work out. So it's better to do just kind of like temporary incursions. You know, continue the bombing campaign, kind of level a lot of the areas of the, the strategic or the important areas, as far as the Israelis are concerned, of of northern Gaza, and then go and do specific raids into these areas. So we'll prepare the ground in advance by bombing a certain area. You move in with like, you know, a few hundred tanks, whatever, a bunch of, bunch of troops, etc. It's, it's very American advice. Clean the area, mop up the area, and then leave again. And then wait a while, do some more, same again. Uh, so it's, you know, the Israelis were being a bit ham-fisted by, about it, you know, the idea of we're just going to invade en masse and stay there. And, and t- as long as it takes, we're going to, until we root out Hamas, but they were probably going to, uh, lose a lot of personnel and tanks and all that kind of stuff. So the Americans were a bit more level-headed about it in that sense. Um, but it was well, just do it punctually rather than all at once. A bit more level-headed, a bit more American, which is don't get killed. obliterate everything and only send in the boys when you're sure. 
mm. almost none of them will be killed, well, no, no, which is you know completely the opposite to say yeah. how Russia fights war, which mm. is man to man. Let's oh, mm. let's keep this. You know, you want to fight? Let's fight. There's no carpet bombing of Ukraine or no. of Ukrainian positions. Well, that's because you care about civilians, but obviously the Israelis don't care about civilians, right? Not the Americans. I mean, <laughs> they, they car- talk about carpet bombing. You know, look at the. Well, I can't remember the, the amount, but the. Um, Cambodia and Laos during the Vietnam War, mm. just after, actually, or towards the end of it, the amount of ordnance they dropped in that, that country was ridiculous. There's graphics you can see. Yeah, so Americans are all in favor of just, uh, you know, obliterating, if they can, obliterating the, the landscape in advance of troops going in. But uh, that has minimal, in this situation, in, in, in an urban conflict, I mean, it doesn't really... It doesn't really make much sense, you know what I mean? You can, if, unless you're going to do it all at once, you know, unless you're actually going to do and this is what they've been resistant to doing, and this is what the, the, the red line in a certain sense, even though, what do you call them, um, the, the, the mealy-mouthed uh, Pentagon's, White House spokesman? No, Pentagon spokesman. Uh, what's his name? Kirby. Kirby. Uh, he said Israel, ha- there are no red lines for Israel. <laughs> right, there's red lines for other people, but, uh, you know, everybody had their red line. America imposed red lines on, on mm. all sorts of people. But Israel, there's no red lines. They can do whatever they want. But they're kind of control. They're directing Israel at this point, you know. I mean, they didn't start it, but Americans didn't necessarily, you know, push in Israel into doing this. Israel has wanted to do this for a very long time, for 20 years. They've talked about it repeatedly, but getting rid of all the Palestinians out of, out of Israel. But... Um, yeah. Or Palestine. Sorry, Palestine. Getting rid of all the Palestinians out, out of Palestine. Palestine. So, um, yeah, I mean, they don't care about civilians, so they can do whatever they want. They can, they can carpet bomb, they can, they can destroy. So the, compar- the, 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 trying to draw a comparison with Russia and, and Ukraine just doesn't work because Russia seems to be, like, have a little bit of a conscience in that respect, you know. Um, and also, you know, the way Russia conducted itself in Ukraine speaks to the fact that the Russian government and Putin, etc., you know, to some extent saw Ukrainians as brothers, at least, you know, in one way or another. Yeah. Saw them as, and, and realized that civilians should be protected to the greatest extent possible. It's not always possible. But the problem with invading Gaza or, or destroying Gaza in like an, uh, a densely urban, it's, it's very different from Ukraine, you know, Ukraine's a big country, wide open spaces. Mm. Uh, there are obviously cities and battles in cities, but... Even Gaza is much more densely populated than most Ukrainian cities like Bakhmut or other or other cities where there have been conflicts or um, battles in Ukraine. Gaza is very different. Um, and what are you going to do? You're going to wipe out like you're going to you, say they level every single building in northern Gaza. Um, I mean, and their goal is to get get Hamas right. They're killing thousands of civilians in the process, but they don't care. So um, they want to get Hamas, whatever that means. Which is a ruse, really. They really want to terrorize the Palestinian population. I mean, so that, the, so that they leave, so that they'll either leave or, or reject Hamas, or just suffer so much that they'll leave, or push them, push like there's two million people in Gaza, push the one, one million roughly in the top into the along with push them together with the one million in the south, and then make it doubly doubly dense in terms of population and cut off electricity and water, and you know just make it. Impossible or, or intolerable for people to live there, and then they leave, right? Um, but that's not really happening because that's that's sort of a red line in a certain sense, where they would like 
see, have a siege of Gaza and starve them to death. You know, it seems that there is a red line, not because they wouldn't do it if they could get away with it, but that they don't want the, the really bad optics. And that's part of America's role in this, in a certain sense, in advising Israel. It's, it's Israel. How to uh, do genocide humanely. Yeah. Hmm. The Americans came and, and talked about optics, you know, and how this, obviously, we're closely tied to this. We're supporting you in every way in this. So what you do has an impact on us and how it looks. We want to retain a little bit of our reputation, our, our, our shoddy reputation as being. And on the night the Americans arrived with that message, Israel blew up a hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, attacked a hospital. Um, attacked people. Oh, that's right. Uh, attacked people it, outside the hospital. The building was left standing and they used some kind of yeah. insidious bomb yeah. and killed 471 people. Yeah. So anyway, um, the problem with their strategy is, is a difficult one in, in, in Gaza. Um, Hamas would just move south. So they leveled buildings. Say they leveled all the buildings. They can't level all the buildings, I don't think. Uh, they'd run out of bombs, I think, before they could level everything. But they can, they can destroy significant areas of it. But Hamas would just have Hamas fighters and PLO fighters would just move out of that area towards the south and then just wait for Israel to come in, Israeli troops to come in. Do you mean you're not really... You're, are you really getting an advantage? Okay, you're taking away like uh, build, a lot of buildings, let's say, for, that can be occupied for snipers or for, you know, you know, protected, relatively protected positions to, to attack Israeli soldiers from. But you're still leaving piles of rubble. We can, you can do a similar thing from piles of rubble in a certain sense. It doesn't make much difference. So there doesn't seem to be... They don't really see... Neither the Israelis nor the Americans seem to have an actual, you know, sensible plan as to what they're actually going to do here. You know, what their end goal is, except... Then they say destroy Hamas, but I don't think that's possible. Um without destroying all of the Palestinian people, and they can't destroy all of the Palestinian people because that is effectively a red line. So drive them all out, put them all into the south, and then force them to leave a mass exodus, they hope. Um, it's all kind of winging a prayer kind of stuff, you know. And yet there's a lot of mat- military material. that they're, they're banking on something happening. Something more than just well, yeah. The, the U.S. aircraft carriers and the, the that kind of scenario suggests to me again because the whole scenario how, how it was actually provoked and how it happened on October seventh and how that was seems to have been a pretty clearly an inside job that was planned several months in advance. The Americans are certainly aware of that. Um, that there is a plan, a bigger plan around this. This is just the first stage in provoking a wider war in the Middle East. Um, and that's why you have several you know, aircraft carrier groups and a bunch of other ships, what do you say, something like 40 or something, uh, either arriving or already in the eastern Mediterranean. That's all for something else. Um, and it's not just to allow Israel to... I mean, plausibly, they're all there to protect Israel while it does its killing, while it does its thing in mm. Gaza. In, in, in Gaza. Um, but given the times that we're in, the times that we live in, and the context of the past number of years and global geopolitics, um, it seems to me that they're, they're, they're aiming for solutions to bigger problems than just the Palestinian problem and that 
certainly it's possible that that's what that's where this is all leading in a certain sense. The U.S. launched airstrikes in Syria last week. Yeah, along the Syria-Iraq border. Yeah, because their bases in Syria were attacked. That's what they were saying. They've been yeah. attacked over the last two weeks. Um, is that the that could be the widening of it there? Um, Maybe if that if that keeps up, but it, it's hard to know. I don't, I don't see. I mean, I don't want to go too far down false flag and false flag rabbit hole or whatever. But I don't see any of the Arab nations who would actually take direct action. Who would be most likely to take any direct action against Israel, let's say, or against American interests in the region, whatever. I don't see um, any of them really doing anything. Not even Hezbollah? No, not. I don't see them doing anything unprovoked, if you know what I mean. They seem to be, at this point, they've had three weeks already. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see clearly that you know, 8,000 Palestinians dead, Israel continuing on with it, uh, with, with, their, with their process. There's red li- red lines for those countries have already been crossed. They know what's happening. They haven't decided to do anything yet. Um, they're mulling over what they can or can't do or should or shouldn't do. Um, and I think at this point they're willing to just let it let it go and let them give them enough rope to hang themselves in a certain sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, because, like I said, there doesn't seem to be a very clear objective or a clear clearly defined objective or how to achieve that objective and it doesn't seem like it's going to work very well um, so that at a certain point they just get stuck just grind to a halt, they won't know what to do that have created a massive mess and massive suffering and massive death and they won't know, what the, they won't know where to go from here you know. Um, so I think a lot of other countries like I said, the countries that might take action have, are reading that situation correctly are reading it like that and aren't aren't inclined, aren't inclined to take any direct action. So I think there's something would have to be staged, or some provocation would have to be staged by the U.S. slash Israel in order to justify an American response to to get a wider war going. You know what I mean? Um, the, the Americans, of course, and the Israelis would love to get rid of of, of Assad, mm. uh, which would be, be a kind of a blow or a, a smack uh, against um, Israel. Or sorry, Russia as well. And of course, that's the kind of bigger picture behind this is uh, the geopolitical competition between America and its allies and uh, Russia and China and their push for uh, a multipolar world which effectively spells the end of the American century American dominance in the globe and by implication Israel's not going to be in a good position if, if America goes down or takes it gets knocked down several pegs in the, in the global pecking order, Israel isn't going to be happy with that either so they're joined at the hip, those two. Yeah, well, uh, this, people get tied up in wondering whether the tail wags the dog or vice versa. Ah, uh, they're conjoined but twins. The two interests are so mutually beneficial. In fact, the U.S. needs Israel to prop up its ailing claim to hegemony. And Israel could only... Find, impose a final solution on the Palestinians while the U.S. is still hegemon. If it loses that position, it loses the opportunity to go full Hannibal on Palestine. Yeah. So the two of them are like it's not. It's it's like Netanyahu said. It's do or die. Yeah. 
Well, it's of his own no, creation, never. though. He didn't have to be do or die, but he I wanted know, but to be do or die. You know, in their in their worldview, that really is yeah. the choice. Well, the only re- the only justification America has for actually doing anything significant in the Middle East is to protect Israel. Like literally, the entire political American political establishment. I can't think of any one except for. I can't think of well, maybe the the what do you call them? The lefties, the Ocasio Cortez, the. The gang, what do they call them? The squad. The squads. That squad, maybe they're not pro-Israel, but that's about it. Everybody else in Congress and in the Senate is like falling over themselves to kiss Israel's ass, um, including or- people like RFK and uh, what do you call them? Um, Rand Paul. Rand Paul, people like you the might have Senate expected. The Senate both to- this week's 97 to nothing. Yeah. So it's, as well. <laughs> it's bizarre. Like It's just bizarre. Dude, that's not a democracy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's something wrong with your democracy when, when the con- 100% of the votes go, go a particular yeah, yeah. way. Yeah, it's like Saddam. That's what we always laugh at yeah. other tin pot dictatorships. It's like Kim Jong-un getting 100% of the vote, yeah. votes in, in an election, you know. Um, there's some, there's some obviously some manipulation going on or, or some pressure being exerted there to have that, that such a complete support for Israel when there shouldn't be. Obviously, it's not black and white. It's, it's a very nuanced situation. So there's something seriously wrong there. But... Um, they're all saying we must support Israel. We must support Israel has our undying support, etc., etc., etc. So, is the only reason America has any any justification for doing anything of a more significance in the Middle East would be to protect Israel. As much as John McCain sang bomb, 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 Iran <laughs> and stuff like that, and they want to take out Iran all, this, all all these years, they haven't had the justification for doing it. Um, but th- is that what is that what they're most likely going to provoke is is around the target here. Lindsey Graham is, is is on the news saying, you know, he's wetting his pants at the chance. Well, they would, and he's very specific. We need to bomb Iran's oil infrastructure. Yeah. And he, he almost said it, like the dot, dot, dot is so that China doesn't get Iran's yeah. oil. Well, this, again, from a, if you step back and zoom out a little bit to the geopolitical... Uh, factors that are driving this is, like I said, it's the Chinese-Russian multipolar world, uh, burgeoning multipolar world. You have you had a couple few months ago. You had China brokering a deal between Iran, a kind of peace, effectively, or diplomatic re- reestablishment of diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Iran. So you had a kind of chi- a China's China's um, a China's initiative. You had uh, a, a kind of a, a vision of a new Middle East. Um, where people were, where conflict, long-standing conflicts were resolved, and um, in the interest of China and its multipolar world uh, vision, um, again, like I said, that is kryptonite for America, and they want to stop it at all costs. Uh, that's why they kicked off the war in Ukraine to provoke Russia. That's why they blew up Nord Stream, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's all. You have to look at it. I have to see that bigger geopolitical perspective to understand what's going on in the details, and then you can understand the details a bit more clearly. Um, so I think, yes, if in, in, in terms of Syria, you could, you could push back Iran in terms of their, their attempt to kind of like exert their influence in the region, which they're entitled to because there are 80 million people and the vast resources. Um, which is the same they're doing in Russia. Russia's 127, 130 million mm-hmm. people, vast resources. They should have a right to to have their influence, their economic and uh, their, 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 their political influence in their backyard. But America 
as always, try to stop that from happening. The same thing with Iran. They want to stop Iran having its natural influence in the Middle East. Uh, if you could, if you could get rid of Syria, you would deal a big blow to Iran's interests or its its its, its agenda in the Middle East. And you would also, if you were, to, if you were in some way able to ignite a war without directly attacking Iran, but draw Iran into it to make it look like you were attacked, basically. As you, see, look, the, look what we just saw. Someone in the comments just had a suggestion. Um, it's, you can't see it at the minute. Evo uh, suggested, what about another USS Liberty with so many American ships yeah. in the Mediterranean? Yeah. One of them, quote, gets hit by an Iranian missile or Hezbollah yeah. missile, yeah. and then it's justification. Or Israel. Or Israel gets hit with a, with a some something that nobody knows what it is, but a big explosion that does serious damage to, to Israel. Yeah. Middle of Tel Aviv, you know. Y- yeah, you uh, could pick uh, any number. Because it's either attack America directly or attack Israel, and the only reason that America exists apparently today uh, at least over the past few weeks, and uh, in this context, the only reason America exists is to protect Israel, right? It will do anything for Israel. The only re- so the only reason America has a justification for taking any action in the Middle East against anybody would be because of Israel, or if it was attacked itself, of course. Uh, and like I said, none of these Middle Eastern countries seem inclined to actually do anything that would provoke that. Therefore, the logical conclusion is that they need a justification. Uh, they need to attack themselves in some way. Israel effectively attacked itself on October 7th to justify what it's, doing, what it's been doing in Gaza. Uh, so that's, that's a mainstay, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's, how, uh, that's how these kind of psychos wage war, right? It's fourth, fifth, sixth generation, whatever it is these days, war, right? It's, gone, it's not just, you know, it's, it's proxy war, of course. You don't fight directly. You have a proxy armies doing your fighting for you, etc. Well, you stir up problems in countries. But also all of that is based very often on some kind of a self-inflicted wound. Speaking of proxy war, they follow the pattern and, and, and what we said earlier about the caution the U.S. brings to how to fight wars. You don't actually want a situation where 10,000 of your own soldiers no. come home with body bags. No. So if you follow the pattern of Ukraine, will they try to set up a Middle East proxy war where neither Israeli nor American troops end up coming home in large numbers. Like you mentioned, Syria. Could Syria be, be reignited again with ISIS or whoever? The yeah, well, exactly. That's the question. Do they have a cadre they, of... They've got a, they've got a bleeding wound, gaping wound in Europe, which didn't cost America much, like they keep telling everyone, mm. you know, this is the best war ever because mm. it didn't cost us anything. Mm. Just a fraction of our budget. Mm. Well, now they're going to put another fraction of their budget in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And then, maybe later this year or next year, There'll be a fraction of the budget in Taiwan or something, mm-hmm. something, something on China's underbelly. Because I can't imagine they're going to. Some this is what many analysts are saying that it's like the BB said, it's do or die. So America's putting all its chips in and it's sending in the actual forces. The American military's going to go hot against someone in the Middle East. It's like, w- why would they do that if that's not what they've been doing before now? With the exception of Iraq in 2003, since then they stopped. And Afghanistan doesn't count because, I mean, they, I remember the early days. They were practically having to fly the Taliban around so mm. that they would pop up in places mm-hmm. and justify the U.S. Well, presence. It depends, how many, but, it depends how many, if they've got cadres of jihadis uh, in, in shipping containers or something where they live, where they're born. Uh, they grow them in shipping containers <laughs> and, uh, and then release them into different countries. So it's whether or not they've got a, a cadre of jihadi, ISIS, al-Qaeda types still available to 
you know, to 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 invade or to spread across Syria, for example, if um, if there was some kind of a, a decapitation of the Syrian government and you know Assad was killed and uh, you know there was a, a, you know hundred tomahawk cruise missiles were launched at the blah 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 uh, Damascus whatever Parliament uh, government buildings in. In Damascus, Assad's gone, and then you have jihadis running through the country. Who's going to take over? You know, there's a vacuum, immediate vacuum of power. Who's going to take over? Chaos, and then factional fighting back to what it was over. Well, over the Americans the are well positioned to move in to quote save what's left. Right. Well, they're really there in like, the, the northeastern chunk of of Syria. They're already there, so they're well positioned in that respect. But of course, if that were to happen, um, you know, if there's quite a lot of Iranian influence in in Syria. At that point, you might involve you might involve Iran more directly um, through its militia, <coughs> yeah, through its militia, or or directly attacking, or, or directly after Soleimani, directly attacking uh, American bases in Iraq and, and in Syria. Um, you know, th- that might be something that would provoke Iran to take take some action. Um, and of course, you've got um, Russia being a, in a, a bit of a would be given a problem in that in that situation. They have um, the Kemenim air base that they have quite a large Russian air base in in Syria. I mean, they would be able to hold on to it, but they would be confronted with the question of whether or not they're going to engage in <laughs> in what way they're going to engage. Are they going to start attacking? Who are they going? To, they could probably just go back to bombing the jihadis that were trying to take over take over uh, Syria again. Um, of course, it was the Russians that stopped the jihadis, the American and Saudi and Israeli-backed jihadis, ISIS, basically, who were trying to overrun Syria since 2011 in the quote-unquote Syrian civil war. Um, and it was Russia that stopped them, you know, basically just destroyed ISIS, despite what Trump claims. It was Russia that destroyed ISIS, just the way, the same way that the Russians destroyed the Nazis, not uh, not Donald Trump or his forebears uh, in, in, uh, in the Second World War. So... And that's un- unfinished business in a certain sense. The Americans would love still, and the Israelis would love still to get rid of Assad and finish that job. This might be an opportunity. This might be thinking in terms of finishing that job with this Gaza situation as a pretext. But like I said, they're going to need some kind of a, a provocation. In the same way they needed a provocation. October 7th on wasn't enough. October 7th was a provocation, but that's directly to do with Gaza. Uh-huh. You need a provocation to expand it wider. So just follow. It was provocation on October 7th. If you want to go wider, have another provocation. Because it looks like no one else, uh, no Arab country, that, and there's only you know, a few of them, Hezbollah, Syria, the Yemenis were shooting a few missiles or something, and the Houthis in Yemen were shooting a few missiles. Um, but no, they don't really have the, ca- ca- the capacity, yeah. the capability. And none of them have the inclination. I don't think any of them are willing to actually be the ones who, like, Shirt front, the um, well, the, the Americans, the Israelis. I don't think they do it unprovoked. The Iranian um, president tweeted yesterday: Zionist regime's crimes have crossed the red lines, so they mm. have red lines too, mm. which may force everyone to take action. Washington asks us not to do anything, but they keep keep giving widespread support to Israel. The U.S. sent messages to the axis of resistance, but received a clear response on the battlefield. And that last line is probably a reference to the strikes and counter-strikes between Iraqi-slash-Iranian mm-hmm. people's militias groups that were set up by Soleimani to counter ISIS back mm-hmm. in the day mm-hmm. that are still operational. Mm-hmm. Attacking American bases uh, On the Syria. Iraqi side of the Syrian border. Um, attacking American bases in Syria. Attacking American bases in Iraq and Syria. 
and injuring some apparently. Yeah, but still um, low level stuff. You know what I mean? Still low level. That's what he. I'm just saying that that's what he means. This is uh, President Raisi of Raisi of Iran. When he says axis of resistance, he mm-hmm. means these groups in northern Iraq on the Syrian border. I don't um, think they understand the level. That, that's level my, that crazy. sounds like Iran's replying. Okay, you want a proxy war? Let's have it out. You know, this is like this is going to be like a redux of ISIS, except you guys will be pretty much standing in for ISIS this mm-hmm. time. Hmm. Yeah, but I don't think they understand the level of, of psycho that's that's that <laughs> the extent oh, of the psycho- psychopathy <laughs> in America. No, really, I mean, I don't think they 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 realize that how how Machiavellian they are and how willing at this point they are. The Iranians, how, how, they don't understand how for forty how, years they've been chanting death to America. I know I they do. <laughs> well, they no, but they don't understand the, the, the details. You know, what I mean, okay. the, the, you just said that they got a message from the Americans asking them to not do anything. So they think the Americans, based on that, maybe they maybe they second guess that, but they think the Americans are like saying, "Listen, are here to calm things down." When the Americans aren't here to well, count things down. he's addressing the official narrative, which yeah. is that Biden said on day one, October 8th, we're sending two aircraft carrier groups to the Mediterranean. And he did his beady eyes and looked in the camera and he said, don't anybody think of doing anything. Mm. I mean, the Iranians aren't going like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, what's, but what they... What, they what's, know what's, shit's coming. But what's doing anything? What they don't understand is what's... That's right. what I think they don't understand is what's coming. I mean, they have budgeted for certain doomsday scenarios, but I don't think they believe that those doomsday scenarios are happening. I think they're being lulled. And of course, it's in America's interest to lull, Amer- to lull Iran, uh, Iran and, and, and others into a false sense of, of, so, secu- of, of security. So, so here's a real... So what they'll... So you've already said because this, but I'll just re- reiterate Hezbollah, despite its first forays in the days after, in the first week of this, mm-hmm. back in early October... They've since gone quiet. Mm-hmm. So Hezbollah and Iran, as much as they might like to come and save Palestinians, genuinely, they're not going to. No. No one is. No. They're going to let the Israelis hang themselves the in the court of public international opinion, which is starting to happen, as we saw in the UN Security Resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, 140 people, countries against Israel. And this makes them more desperate. Yeah, they don't like that. They don't like to be. They want to know that. They want to know that most people are with them. Mm-hmm. So they keep going. Okay, that's where we left it. We don't know what happens after that because well, if well, they ju- you sit back and let, let them hang themselves, so to speak, in the information sphere. Sorry, people of Gaza, but you've been you've been sacrificed. Um, at that point. Because it hasn't, quote, it hasn't worked. We didn't manage to get Hezbollah. Because America's sitting off the Eastern Med going, go on, go on, do it. And they want to just obliterate Lebanon, I suppose, after that. And ideally, maybe provoke Iran directly to fly some missiles over, at which point Lindsey Graham gets to wet his pants and those aircraft carriers directly target Iran. But they want to attack, they want to attack Syria more than anything. I think that's the focus. Um, they want to attack Syria. So what happens after that is that the Israelis grind to a kind of halt. They don't know what to do, and but that's really ultimately wasn't. Um, you know, maybe they think they've achieved some gains. Whatever they've reduced half of Gaza to rubble. 
Palestinians aren't going anywhere. Nobody's accepting them. They're not going into the desert because into the desert is in Israel. They're not, Egypt won't allow them to go into Egypt. They're not going to Jordan. So they're not going anywhere, basically. They're just going to be corralled into a smaller, smaller space. And uh, Israel will be back, ultimately back to square one. Um, so I think the Americans, and this is what, what I'm saying the Iranians don't understand, is that um, the Iranians don't, the Iranians don't think that the Americans will actually launch a war. Nobody thinks. They're all looking at the situation and they see no pretext for anybody to actually start a wider Middle East war. Hmm. Um, unless someone Fires a carries big, out big, big a, self-inflicted, a self-inflicted wound, either America or Israel carries out a self-inflicted wound and that then is enough for them to justify attacking not necessarily Iran but like I said Damascus um, and then it kind of spirals from there in a certain sense to, to go and go somewhere eventually maybe something it, it grinds to a halt as a lot of them do um, well Hezbollah Hezbollah once I mean Hezbollah is my is committed enough to fall on its sword after it's got a reason to do so mm. it's been attacked they might do some serious damage. 2006 yeah. ended as a draw. Yeah. Israelis just withdrew after yeah. four weeks because... The thing is that, and the reason I say that, uh, the reason I said the Iranians, uh, I think, aren't expecting that is because, like, the, their response was, you know, you said, like, okay, their response was, if you want a proxy war, it's on, let's do a proxy war. And they fire a few, fire a few drones, send a few drones or a, a missile or a, ro- a few rockets or whatever into American bases. Is that, that's what they think that's it. That's it. Well, I mean, what, 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 what's the Iranian vision for this? We're going to attack your bases in, in Iraq and Syria. You know, so they think that by sending a few drones or whatever into and hitting a couple of bases and causing relatively little damage in bases in, in Iraq and Syria, American bases in Iraq and Syria, they think that's going to make America go, whoa, hey. I'm down there. We don't. We we didn't want this fight. No, 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 no. Let, and the, all the aircraft carriers are going to back away, slowly, from a few drones. Well, America hasn't fought a real peer-to-peer war. I know. Well, well since three generations, the Americans don't think it's peer-to-peer. That's but that's where the the X factor is. It's not the Iranians' lack of awareness. It's the Americans' lack of awareness. Maybe no, well, I'm, of, I'm of just what saying Iran, Iran or Hezbollah could do the damage they could do. What I'm saying is there's no sign that the Iranians are aware or ready for some kind of a major engagement with those aircraft carriers off the Mediterranean. That they're not expecting it, you know. Um, they think, naively think, that the Americans will back down if... They yeah, would yeah. launch a few missiles or whatever at American bases in, in Iraq and Syria. That, that the Americans said it'll be too much, be bad press, they don't want this and they're going to go away. They're going to calm everything down. But I think there's a, at some level, within certain groups, whatever, there's, you know, I don't know how, where the pyramid goes to or whatever, but there's, I think there's an agenda to, to throw something into the middle of this that no one at the overt level of political dialogue is expecting. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into a, a fairly chaotic situation after that. And of course, that's the way 
things have often gone at key points in in in, in history. You know, um, China has sent six warships to the region, one of which has arrived in Kuwait. So that in the mix. Yeah, well, the Chinese are there to protect their oil supply. Twenty yeah. percent of global oil comes through the Strait of Hormuz. Yeah, and that could be shut off, and then you'd have massive spike in oil prices, and then shortages of oil <laughs> and gas, and all that kind of stuff. And it would be a global; it would hit the global economy. Uh, so it's it's possible that the, these events now will not destroy the global economy, but but definitely shake it in a big way, and it'll be those the 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 negative the economy, <laughs> and the negative effects will be passed on to this is this passed is, on to the people obviously all the people is, of the world. This is this is predictable. Uh, the the all or nothing Armageddon total war. Mm. That's not the way they've done it thus far. It's always no. proxy dirty, um, drawn out. Netanyahu yesterday, this is going to be a long war. I'm like, how long does he think it's going to last? Because in a situation where, honest to God, ICBMs start flying, it's over quite quickly. But if it's long, they, you know they're gaming it for something more more like a dirty proxy war like mm. Ukraine. Um, th- so this is, this is the, the main thing that people are going to feel. It's going to be the effects yep. on... Like this is this is going to be like 1973 oil crisis. Mm, but that's all fun. Like I mean, for the most part, that's all fun and games for these people. You know what I mean? It's all manageable. It's nothing, nothing dire. We we look at it, and people around the world looking at the situation in Gaza now, and the, there's all sorts of fear and trepidation, and what's going to happen, and you know, sympathy for 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 Palestinians or or even for Israelis, um, and but they don't seem to. Most people don't understand that from the point of view of pretty Western politicians and governments, there's nothing wrong with war, right? They don't have a problem with war. Because they may keep making sure that the theatres happen all the way over there, not right, exactly, over here. Exactly. Um, and it, but even if it's relatively close to whatever and it causes a bit of an upset in the markets or it causes a bit of an oil crisis, whatever it's big... Wars just you know like Iraq you know let's have a, let's, let's let's invade Iraq you know we we'll kill a million people big deal look at twenty seven million people we'll steal the oil sure that's a good idea let's steal the oil you know and then what happens well after a few years it goes it all calms down again and the whole world keeps going right like the history of war at least in the modern era and throughout history I suppose is just like yeah let's just have a war you know it's good for us it's uh, it's good for us economically and. Good for morale, um, and we can, you know, it, it shakes the whole thing up a little bit, and we can kind of maybe find a, a better position afterwards. Um, we can benefit from it in various different ways. <clears throat> so, and you know, don't get so freaked out about war. Like it's just a few years, and then it's done, and then the world carries on. I mean, where have you been for the past, you know, forever? You know, where's everybody been for the past forever? At war? But that's obviously a. If I'm the not, world gets shitter, I'm not every, so psychic. With every with every turning point. I mean, after Iraq came ISIS, for God's sake. Um, yeah, well, you, you, again. Again, that wasn't... <clears throat> but still, it created a no, horrific I know it, climate. I know but those people don't care. Is which the thing which led into bloody mass migration. Yeah. But and, again... And more polarization, more fear and loathing. Yeah. So, yes, definitely over the past 20 years, it's got worse. But the, the precedent, the history, the, the, the mindset these people are in is, is that looking at human history, war is normal. Let's just do war. And if it causes... You know, ultimately, if it causes 
you know, uh, like you said, fear and loathing and uh, the imposition or the imposition of new, new, more strict draconian laws on the population. That's their population's problem. It's not the government's problem. Again, the people are waging the wars of the governments, right? Mm. And nothing changes about their position. In fact, it only increases their power and control. You know, so I'm just talking from their perspective, mm-hmm. and it's definitely a psychopathic perspective. But that's the reason why they think they can just go ahead and have a war in the Middle East. While the rest of us, the common sense population, is looking at this saying, "You're crazy. You could yeah. spark Armageddon." Yeah, they're, and they're, they're like, "Because they're deluded." Yeah, because they're yeah, they're, they're delusional, but they have some narrative to explain it. You know, in the past twenty years, what do we have? Well, like war in Afghanistan. We had a war in Iraq. We had a war in Libya. We had a war in Syria. Now we have a war in Israel. Ukraine. Ukraine. had a war in Ukraine. Now we've got a war in, uh, in, in Syria. And maybe it'll be a war in the Middle East. Just one more. Chill out. Everyone will be fine. Um, we heard... And it's good. We heard Netanyahu for after October 7th say um, he's calling for a global alliance to fight the axis of evil. And from Israel's perspective... The axis of evil is Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran. Well, look at this today. Let me put this before we go on to something oh. else. This is just to, to make that point that I was I'm making, I'm making there. It's not, and it's not me who's saying that kind of stuff that war is good. This is, you can always rely on, on the old fogies to spill the beans. Um, or this, just to say it for the CIA. This is Mitch McConnell. Listen to what he says. If you look at the Ukraine assistance, let's, let's talk about where the money's really going. A significant portion of it's being spent in the United States in 38 different states, Woo-hoo. replacing the weapons that we sent to Ukraine with more modern weapons. So we're rebuilding our industrial base. That's getting what President Biden is seeking to do. It's, it's correct. No Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. Not too, but we're whatever. Re- rebuilding our industrial base. Excellent. Uh, the Ukrainians are destroying the army of one of our biggest rivals, I have a hard time finding anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful that they're defending themselves. And also the notion that the Europeans are not doing enough. They've done almost $90 billion. They're housing a bunch of refugees who escaped. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think our NATO allies in Europe have done quite a lot. You sound like you have a lot in common with President Biden and his worldview based on what you just laid out? Well, not on the domestic side, but on, on this issue that we were discussing today, we're generally in the same place. There you go. The uni party. Foreign it's policy all is all, always one way. It's all good. It's all good, man. Re- rebuild our industrial base, get rid of all those old rusting weapons we had, stored, not doing anything because there's not enough wars, ship them over to Ukraine, Get in return, like, ownership of large tracts of Ukrainian land and businesses and all that kind of stuff. And we get then to, to stimulate our own economy by, by uh, increasing production to, to replace those old rusty weapons we sent to Ukraine with nice new shiny ones that we put in our armory. And then give to Israel to have a war in the Middle East that, that, so they can kick off a war in the Middle East. And then we'll use some of those nice shiny weapons that we replace the, for the ones we give to Ukraine to attack other countries in the Middle East. And by attacking other countries in the Middle East, we're going to upset China and Russia's multipolar world plan and secure the realm for America for at least another 10, 15, 20 years. So it's all good. How could you ever have pride in a country that is 
that is that is run that way. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. It's good for the economy. It's growing for death. Um, mm. The thing I sent you, Scotty, just before is ironically from exactly the same guy, uh, Mitch McConnell. So, like I said, Netanyahu framed October seventh as axis of evil from Israel's perspective. Well, that's n- the Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran axis of evil is nested inside America's take on it. Articulated by Mitch McConnell here, U.S. faces new axes of evil in Iran, China, and Russia. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the geopolitical rationale for the United States to fully support Israel, um, securing the realm. Pinak. They want to secure the realm. The new American and century. Gr- grow our industrial base. 1999 was the new American century. That's for like, we're only like 23 years into the new American century. So it's got another seven, 70, 60, 77, <laughs> 70, 77 years of America. America on top to go. Ain't no multipolar world going to upset that. Not much Mitch Collins got anything to say about it. He's going to take down our enemies and you know, energize our industrial base and yeah, by shedding a lot of blood, but so Ukraine and now this are, are the U S flipping the chessboard. Yeah. Wreck it a bit. I mean, yeah. I mean, Ukraine didn't wreck too much in a certain sense, but definitely the middle East, if, if they go in that direction, will wreck a lot of things. I think this is, this is what, this is why it's bigger. I mean, you know, she didn't see any. I mean, they probably couldn't have done it, but you didn't see any aircraft carriers coming up the Black Sea. You know what I mean? They could have, in theory, but that would have been too much of a confrontation with Russia. And they've been really pissed at the fact that Russia could stir them down in a certain sense and tell them to, to back off and it stopped them in Syria, stopped them overthrowing Assad in Syria and stuff. But now, Mediterranean, Russia has no authority there to stop aircraft carriers piling up in the eastern Mediterranean. Because they're there to protect Israel. And of course, Russia, you like Israel too, right? Wink, wink. So um, we're here to protect our, 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 our closest ally, Israel, and to support them. What and, a concern. Yeah, it'll be. And, and if it ends up igniting a war by whatever false flaggy kind of means in the greater Middle East, and it throws the global uh, energy markets into turmoil, and for example, China can't get enough oil supply to 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 provide for its uh, its economy then oh that's really sad it just so happens that china is also one of our biggest enemies and now they don't they don't got enough oil how did that happen Ch- oh i Ch- don't know china ships mm. 3.5 million barrels of oil a day through the strait of hormuz alone yeah oh what um, would happen from saudi arabia and iran yeah what would happen if they couldn't get those be terrible wouldn't it Poor Chinese economy. Um, just, just that's just. I suppose it's the it's the the good luck that the exceptional nation tends to make for itself. So what it might come down to is this is this is actually a response to 2016, 15, 2015. The U.S. has gone one up on Russia, and they're saying to them. How much do you really want to protect Syria? Do you want to protect Syria more than we want to protect Israel? 
because the next thing that would have to happen is that Syria would have to have air defense. Are you Russian? Syria's got air defense. I mean, well, why aren't they shooting Israeli planes or American missiles hmm. or targeting American aircraft in the northeast? They they can't because they won't. Or whether it's choice or capacity, whatever. The, in each case, you get your answer. Russia is not willing to stand up this directly against Israel slash the United States. Right? Who? Russia. America will win out this battle of staring. Okay, Russia stared US down in Ukraine, but in this one, it's going to happen in reverse. Hmm. Because the, the, that's what happens next. Logically, Syria attempts to actually shoot down some of the incoming jets and missiles with Russian air defense systems. Yeah, of course, yeah. So far, they haven't. In all the years of Israeli airstrikes. No. Nada. But that would be different. If it was, it would be different. I mean, that's Israel uh, attacking... Uh, Israel, okay, in quotes, but it's all American fire. No, but still, no, but well, there's different... <laughs> yeah, but it's still, there's diplomatic relations between the two and all that kind of stuff. Oh. Uh, there's separate dipl- diplomatic relations between Russia and Israel and Russia and America. And it's different if Russia, if Israel, if there's some agreement to allow Israel to defend itself against the Iranian threat um, in Syria by periodically, you know, attacking bases or locations in Syria, uh, that's different from if um, America were to try to attack Syria directly. Put this way, there's an agreement between Russia and and Israel mm-hmm. to allow Israel to attack certain select targets but not go too far in certain lack, er, certain select Iranian-linked targets in Syria but not go too far. But They hit both civilian airports in Syria last week. Yeah. The runways are destroyed. Yeah, well, that's, this is a new, a new chapter. There has mm. been an agreement. And, of course, there will be no attack on um, Russia's interests in Syria. That's the agreement. And Israel has stuck to that. There is no such agreement between Russia and America. If Russia starts, or if America starts launching, launching, launching missiles at Syria, then uh, Syria slash Russia is within its rights to to stay their hand to whatever extent it can. And again. This is where MAD comes into play. Russia, Russia can do whatever it wants. So it's not a case of the Americans staring down the Russians. The Russians have plenty that they can do and without actually engaging directly with the Americans. Um, because, again, this is, this is the same as Ukraine. This is you know, a proxy war, essentially. It's ultimately a proxy war, at least in part, as a proxy war by America against Russia in the Middle East. You know? So since we're not officially at war with each other, then we can do all sorts of things behind the scenes and then say, it wasn't me, that was uh, Israel. You know? Mm. Or or, that, or the Russians can say, that wasn't me, that was the Syrians. You know? America launches cruise missiles at Syria and a bunch of them get shot down. The Russians go, oh yeah, the Syrians have that uh, air defense thingy they have, uh, have for a while. It wasn't us. 
you know. Yeah. So I think the main thing, the main role Russia could play, at least in the, in the short term, is to stay America's hand in a certain sense, to, to thwart American American firepower to a certain extent, you know. Which could be, could be a big, would obviously be a big game changer in the in the overall situation, you know. Yeah. Do you remember the 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 reference to Dresden? Yeah. Um, first by ex-Prime Minister Bennett, then by the Israeli ambassador to the UK. Uh, someone else, Israeli, of course, made reference to it again. You remember when Bennett said it? He said it in a kind of hysterical defense of Israel to a British reporter. There was a Sky News interview with him shortly after October 7th. And he was railing against, hang on, don't be criticizing us for bombing Hamas. She was saying, you're bombing civilians, but, you know, mm-hmm. we remember what you did in World War Two. <clears throat> you, the British, i.e., you leveled Dresden to, quote, get at the Nazi regime. Mm-hmm. You killed thousands, of, about 100,000 civilians. Well, the absolutely batshit. This is now spreading to American mainstream. And American commentators are starting to use this analogy as well, which is completely lost on them. The Israelis were somewhat justified because they were defending themselves against Anglos, saying, hang on, we remember what you did to Dresden. Now fucking Anglos are using Dresden. Have a listen. (laughs) I will remind you, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about this. What U.S. Grant did with Sherman in the Civil War when he went Sherman to the sea and they burned Atlanta to the ground. And I remember what we did in World War II when we destroyed the city of Dresden just to send a signal. I think you're looking at the total reduction, if necessary, of the city of Gaza. And, and that's the reason they told all the civilians move south of Wadi Gaza and because they're going in in full strength. You know, Sandra, they've got to do this. This to them is an existential fight. Hamas did something that we haven't seen since World War II uh, when, when the Nazis basically eliminated, exterminated one-third of the Jewish population. This is what they're looking at as an existential fight. And in, in my recommendation to them, they're not going to take it, but you have to go in hard and you're going to have to reduce everything and don't leave until it's done. That simple. We did Dresden, a war crime, mm-hmm. quote, just to send a signal. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, that's all okay now. You know, it's it, it's going to end up in the place it, if everyone else can just n- avoid the, responding to provocations. Like you're going to get a UN vote in the future that'll be even worse for the US and Israel mm-hmm. than the last the one last week, mm-hmm. and they're just pariah. Yeah. Know, uh, all the bullshit about humanitarian and following the rules of war and and their 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 reasons for why they do what they do. That's that's the one silver lining in this horror show. Um, you, you saw it in the strength of the the protests mm-hmm. all around the world last week. A million people in London. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah. It's amazing how quickly they. They shifted that narrative to um, in the West, you know, how they, the whole, this whole situation with Gaza and Israel has like 
co-opted the left, or sorry, the right, uh, the political right-wingers in, in the Western world, at least in the English-speaking American UK, for example. It has co-opted them in the sense that they um, somehow, especially, I'm especially bewildered by the, or amazed at the, at the ignorance of um, conservative types, commentators, social media personalities in the UK who, you know, have been anti-immigration, anti-transgenderism, um, anti-COVID, you know, all reasonable positions to take. But they somehow completely forgot. And these are these are guys, men and women who are old enough to know or should have known that the Palestinian issue, the Palestinian cause, has is is well entrenched and long standing in the UK, for example. And it's also in America, but in, also in every other European country. There's a Palestinian, a pro-Palestinian movement that has been there for forty or or, or longer years, and every time Israel abuses the Palestinians, there are pro-Palestinian marches in these in these countries. So they must know that. But as soon as they see Israel basically do the same thing again, except to a greater, a much more greater and more vicious extent, you have again, as you have had every time. For the past 40 years, in those countries, in the UK, for example, you have pro-Palestinian marches. But these right conservative commentators in the UK suddenly have just forgot. Well, they either never knew about, which I don't believe, about the pro-Palestinian movement in the UK, or they're being disingenuous by saying, look, these are a bunch of immigrants. Mm. These are the people that, that I've been complaining about for quite a long time in terms of illegal immigration or, or or open immigration into the UK and they've come here to take our jobs and our culture and our wives and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And this is what I've been complaining about. And look at them all now. And it's like, dude, what are you talking about? That's a pro-Palestinian march. It's got nothing to do with immigration. But, and the, but of course, the same people are like fully behind Israel. So maybe they're... But they style themselves as like reasonable people in a certain sense so they can't be openly pro-Israel and you know doing a Jordan Peterson and saying yeah let them have it, let the Palestinians have it so but they have to find a way to criticise the pro-Palestinian marches so they, they they associate them with illegal immigration, these people are here just off the boat in yeah. the, from, from France or wherever yeah, in the UK and they're here to kind of like overrun our country and destroy our yeah. culture it's like, yeah. okay, bizarre. They're they're pretty much suggesting between the lines, you know, we should call in an airstrike while well, we've got them all here in one place. That's the kind of flavor of their that they they would see them as Israelis see Palestinians. It's a kind of a more watered down version, but it is a mirror reflection of the world of perceiving the world in exactly the way that Israel always set out mm-hmm. for Europeans, Westerners to see, quote-unquote, the Muslim problem. Yeah. Um, that's why it's... It's, it's been fermenting in their yeah. minds for, like, the last uh, 20 years. And, and co- just COVID did nothing to remove it. They just switched right back in. Yeah. It's amazing how that interregnum, many, most of whom actually saw through that for the lie that it was, mm-hmm. not this one. Um, 
and uh, on that note, we should say that Trump is fully on board with this. I mean, he's saying the same kind of things. He's getting up on TV now this week, and he's saying, when I'm president, anyone, same as DeSantis, anyone who's in these protests, who's a foreign national, is getting deported. Mm-hmm. Exactly what Farage is saying in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, the one person who's stood out, actually, uh, is Elon Musk. I, I, I feel for him right now. He's floated the idea of using of Starlink, uh, being accessible mm-hmm. for people in Gaza, uh, he got pretty much threatened that Israel would quote destroy it if he dared to do so. <laughs> so he's back down to saying, "Look, look, look, we'll completely vet only specific NGOs. In fact, you, the Israeli government, will get to pre-approve mm-hmm. any case where we give someone a mm-hmm. a kit mm-hmm. to access Starling." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Everyone's getting. If if you're new to this, you're getting a crash course in, you know, what it's like to come up against full-on psychopathy here, mm-hmm. and it's it's having different effects on on different people. You, the the people who basically capitulate and accept Israel's lie that they were brutally attacked on October seventh, completely unprovoked, and so on and so on, they're 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 taking the easy way out because just if they don't accept that that lie that bid that Israel offered to them, mm-hmm. then they're they're left with having a much harder psychological task of having to face full frontal psychopathy writ large on a global mm-hmm. scale, um, and that's it. I, I I kind of kind of feel for them, you know, because yeah, it, it's kind of it's pretty. Um, you're left feeling like little more than doom and gloom as things currently stand. Um, yeah. So it's um, it's easier it's easier to stick better the narrative you know and the culture war you know than um, to wake up to reality. But I think that they're going to. I think they're going to. The, Israel will get worse and worse, and the U.S. too will get worse and worse in the support. Um, yeah, and if not that, then indirectly they're going to. Uh, I'm serious. We could have a we could have a a 1970s oil oil crisis where mm-hmm. it, it's currently two euros a liter for gasoline in in Europe. I mean that can quadruple mm-hmm. this winter. At which point half the workforce cannot work, mm-hmm. and we're practically. Flesh that out, that means there's also uh, shortages of food and supplies, able to reach stores and stuff. Mm-hmm. People aren't able to work because they can't travel to work. Mm-hmm. Um, we could be looking at a de facto lockdown in Europe this winter as an indirect consequence of this. Mm-hmm. If, if, if the oil... If the market goes kaflui for real or if it gets the jitters, whatever, either or. Yeah. An indirect lockdown. That's, that's one real world consequence. Everyone will share it. We'll all get to bitch about it together again. Mm. And, you know, no one will be, it won't come down to a provocative stance whether you wave the Palestinian flag or the Star of David. No. You'll start you quickly forget that bullshit uh, and focus on what's affecting you here and now. Mm. But spare a thought for poor Zelensky. 
Have you even heard oh, about him? Christ, he's trying, bless him. They, they sent a drone into the Zaporizhian nuclear power plant again last week, mm. desperately trying to set off um, another Chernobyl and get the old attention back. Yeah, sorry, Zelensky. You may be Jewish, but you're not that Jewish, remember? <laughs> you're not really Jewish. Um, yeah. I, it's a shame, but it's a shame. It's one of, the, it's one of those things... Like, Russia's probably having to recalculate things. They probably were going to do a big sweep in the next year because Ukraine's ready now. They mm-hmm. could just move in and take Kiev. But now that's probably... Or not. They stay focused on Ukraine and let Syria fall. They have to make a choice probably between the two. Yeah, maybe. Well, there's, they're, they're talking about packages, you know. Stimulus packages or whatever, uh, aid packages to both, you know. I mean, they're obviously taking some from Ukraine to, to, to give to, to Israel, including weapons oh, the and Americans. stuff. The Americans. Oh, the yeah. Americans are convinced they can cover all bases yeah, yeah. all over the world. Yeah, yeah. The two poles, north and south, everywhere will be, you know. I'm thinking of the Russians on their, on their much, much, much more limited resources. They kind of have to make a choice here. Do, do you send in a force? Or even just the material to Syria? Or do you stay focused on a regime change in Kiev and consolidating control of the four oblasts that are now Mm -hmm. Russian? You know what I mean? Well, that's what I was saying. I think that they would limit... They're probably preparing, planning right now for any involvement they have, whatever way it turns out in, in, in a wider conflict in the Middle East, that it would be limited to... Um, like I said, staying in America's hand, you know, because um, they've—I mean—they have their, their fleet, their Black Sea fleet, isn't doing much necessarily in in Ukraine. It's not all of it's not needed in Ukraine, um, and they have an air force, and you know, they have uh, electronic war, electronic warf- warfare capabilities and stuff like that in, in on the ground in Syria, and also, like I said, they have an air base, and um, they'd be able to do something short of, you know, it's not the same as waging an actual war, you know what I mean? Mm. They wouldn't have to pull many resources away from Ukraine to, to, to at least have an impact on something going down in the Middle East, you know. That doesn't involve, doesn't involve Russia directly, you know. I mean, the, the thing is, Russia's not going to get directly involved with anybody because Russia wouldn't be fighting anybody. This is, a, this is the nature of these conflicts. You know, <laughs> Russia's not going to be fighting America, so it doesn't have to marshal any significant resources to fight America in the Middle East, because it's not going to be fighting America, America in the Middle East, even though it is. In the same way, it's not fighting America in Ukraine, right? Hmm. It ha- Russia only had to mobilize its, its, its resources to deal with the Ukrainian military, because it's not fighting America. If it had to fight America directly, it would have to mobilize very much more resources. But it's not fighting America, right? Officially. So in the Middle East, you'd have, again, Officially, it's, it's proxy been war. a lot you know? of... There have been a lot of pot shots in Russia proper. Drone strikes, yeah, downing but that's all, choppers. That's all Ukraine. But, you know, it's coming through Ukraine, exactly, I know. Yeah. But that's, that's the cap- capability that the Ukrainians didn't have. Yeah, but they give We now know that the Neptune anti-ship missiles that took down the Moskva were practically fired by, supplied by and aimed at and fired mm-hmm. by Americans. Only once, mind you. Yeah, although then there was the Crimea Bridge, mm-hmm. probably MI6, you know. The, every week they talk about how many... They they, they down like 40 drones a week. Mm-hmm. That takes... Takes some resources, yeah. Yeah. But it's very Non-stop different from... vigilance. It's very different from a direct conflict with America. True. 
you know. If it was a direct conflict with America, there would be no America wouldn't give any heed to the uh, to the laws of, of only uh, Black Sea countries being allowed to allowed, allowed to um, patrol the Black Sea. You know what I mean? Like America officially isn't allowed to patrol any any warships aren't allowed to actually patrol in the Black, Black Sea unless it's part of some exercise with another country, but they're not allowed to actually enter the Black Sea. Um, they wouldn't give a shit about that law anymore, right? They just charge in there with you know four uh, aircraft carriers. Um, and then blow the crap out of Russia from there, right? Or they throw a few up around the top, whatever, you know. They, I mean, you know, if, if if the U.S. was to go to war with Russia and it, for whatever reason nukes were off the table, Russia would be fighting the conflict on many more fronts than just one in Ukraine, you know? Yeah. So, again, the mutually assured destruction thing means that America will never officially be at war with Russia and vice versa, but they will be fighting proxy wars on the land and on the territory of other, other countries. Yeah. And to that extent, they'll be much more limited, you know. They'll be limited to mostly to the resources that each side can provide to, you know, with as much plausible deniability as possible, if, you know, in terms of, you know, you saw, you saw the way the Ukraine war it was like we're only giving them weapons that are enough for their defense, right? We're only giving them high mars, we're only giving them artillery, we're only giving them tanks. You know, we're not giving them. You know, we're not handing the keys over to an aircraft carrier, or, or we're not. We're not giving the keys to. We're not giving them any F 16s We're not giving them B two bombers, so they can carpet bomb. You know, Russian forces. You know what I mean? There's, there's many more levels of escalation that you know they they haven't been supplying Ukraine with anywhere close to. The, the 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 extent of American firepower as if it was America fighting Russia. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't even give them a plane. Like, I mean, it's pretty bad. You don't give them a plane, even one, not even one F sixteen. You know. Um. So yeah, I think that's the way it'll play out. You know, it's all just proxy, proxy bullshit, proxy wars. Um. And it takes a bit of effort to kind of understand that and to, to figure out what's actually going on. You know, and the different. Um, as it's even as it's happening, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah. And to trying to avoid. Well, you, you also don't want to get caught out later. Like if someone does do something major and there is a major war, we don't want to have egg in our faces. So it's possible, but it's most likely at the moment um, that they'll they'll try to keep this controlled. You know. Yeah, controlled chaos. Yeah, so far we don't know obviously what the future will hold, but it just seems to me that it's very unlikely. America seems to be a loathe. Their red line for themselves is never to have um, American troops, significant amount of American troops, or American hardware. You know, serious American hardware involved in a conflict that America doesn't win. So they'll stay away from any. From, from engaging directly in that way with anyone that could give, give as good as they get. Therefore, proxy wars where it has to be. So Lindsey Graham is just smoking crack when he's talking about what we need to do right now is blow up Iran's. We, I mean, Americans. That, that could happen, but I think they still think that, that uh, you know, um, they would... They, would they, they could do that without any yeah. blowback. Blow yes, without any significant blowback. Ah, they are dreaming. I'm so sure that <laughs> we'll see. 
We had a little debate about that last mm. week about Iran's capabilities. They're untested, is all I see. Yeah, I know, but they got some. I mean, the Iranians propaganda talk a lot, videos. You know? They yeah, talk a lot. Yeah, propaganda videos and stuff. It's just they they talk well, a lot, and I'm not going to draw any conclusion. I'm not going to go with any of their propaganda or any of their videos or what they say they have until it's actually demonstrated that they have it. Because hello, geraniums. Geraniums are drones. I know. That, that was just some of their lesser equipment it's they could give basic, to Russia. Pretty basic, though. The, the, it's like a moped. The, 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 the Patri- exactly. That's probably why the Patriots couldn't knock them down. Because they're too noisy. <laughs> something like they no heat signature or something. Yeah. They thought of creative ways to get around. They're not going to waste it. Yeah, well, there's too many of them. I mean, they don't have enough Patriot missile batteries in, in, in Ukraine to, uh, to, to deal with that amount of, amount of drones. But drone warfare is, again, where it's at as well. You know what I mean? It's like... Um, of course, those drones. I mean, they, it's complicated in Ukraine. They can't put Patriot missile batteries too close to the line because they get destroyed. Patriot missile batteries were reserved for, you know, uh, strikes on Kiev or um, one or two other major eastern. Uh, and they were they were there to protect effectively Western uh, staging areas and the government in Ukraine and, and Zelensky. You can't put them anywhere close to the front line because they'll be gone in no time. You'd go through them like Russia just take them out. That's why, they're not, that's why they're not using Patriot missile batteries to shoot down drones, because the drones are all coming from Russian territory or from, uh, from Donetsk and Luhansk and, and, and Zaporizhia, and they're coming in there and flying a relatively short distance. And, you know, so. Um, so it's not that the Patriot missile or, or the market doesn't have missile batteries that couldn't take down those, those, those Giron drones. It's, it's that they weren't in a position to be able to do that. They weren't... They weren't the nature of the conflict meant that they weren't able to, they weren't about to sacrifice a bunch of Patriot missile batteries just to shoot down some drones. Um, but they can be taken down pretty easily. Um, okay. Anyway, I just don't know what Iran, <coughs> I have no idea <coughs> what Iran's capabilities are. They talk a lot, <coughs> and, um, but so far they haven't done much of anything. Um, they haven't gone on the offensive. They haven't shown that they're ready. Bring it on, you know. They haven't thrown the first punch because they're so confident well, that they, they, they can they can smack America upside the face. They America destroyed America's Al-Assad airbase in January 2020. They, they, well, they didn't destroy it. That was after Sol- well, Soleimani. They successfully launched three thirteen ICBMs and hit it. Uh, so they have the tech. Well... Uh, well, uh, ballistic missiles. Americans, uh, and, and maybe they ice. let them fall, it's but they didn't uh, either or didn't have the capability to defend against it. Oh, they weren't expecting it, yeah. But it's... Well, uh, we think they, they were expecting it because they got a heads up. That's why no one was killed. Remember? Yeah, as well, yeah. But they didn't use Patriots or whatever to shoot them down. They didn't try to, yeah. Maybe they didn't have Patriots in that area um, or anything or anything like that. But uh, they weren't ICBMs. Those are intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, so it wasn't... It wasn't that range. It, it wasn't. But they were precision. It, well, they're not even precision. Blessing missiles aren't precision. Like they're just like lob and drop. Uh, okay, whatever. They were able to fire missiles 800 miles and hit hmm. specific hangars on an airbase. They could do that in the Second World War as well. Ah, Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's nothing. Not long after the Second World War, they could do that. No, seriously, yeah. I mean, it's like... Okay. It, uh, again, impression. it's... 
I don't know. I just don't know. I'm not. I'm not about to go. Yeah. Yeah, Iran's gonna kick America's ass because I don't know. I mean, okay. they, they, all they do is talk a lot and put out a lot of propaganda videos, but I haven't seen anything. And maybe they're saving all the best stuff for, for Doomsday or, or, or that particular scenario, and then we'll all find out just how awesome Iran's <laughs> missile programs actually are and how much Russia has been helping them and they've actually Russia's been giving them technology for missiles and blah, blah, blah. blah. Maybe. Okay. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, and certainly the way the Americans are talking, they seem to think that they could, that Iran will kind of like, you know, Iran knows its place and wouldn't dare to, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, we just have to wait and find out. Okay. It's going to be hard, but yeah, our prediction is November is going to be... Well, boring by the sounds of it. No, November's going to be... Boring? What? What's, what's, uh, for you, exciting is only when an American aircraft carrier gets taken out by an Iranian hypersonic missile. Well, if not talking, anything short of that, it's everyone's like, talking about Armageddon, so like, I'm like, bring it. Huh? Let's see it. Let's yeah. see what you got. I'm, I'm not saying they won't. I'm not, that, that last discussion we had, I, I'm not saying that there isn't going to be serious shit going down over the next month. There very likely is. Mm. The only thing in, in question was whether or not uh, your. Uh, favorite in your favorite imagination, <laughs> uh, whether your favorite imagination is is will be proven true, and that in that <clears throat> shit that goes down in November in the Middle East, causing lots of chaos, whether Iran will be able to sink some American aircraft carriers with their hypersonic missiles, I don't know. I don't even know if it has <laughs> hypersonic missiles. They claim they do, or whether they're any good. They, remember, in twenty nineteen, they shot down a global hawk drone. Again, that's relatively easy. The surface area missile. This is like the he- most heavily sanctioned country on Earth since 40 years. I could shoot a, I could shoot a global lockdown. Could you? Yeah. Well, with the. And with a 1960s SAM surface area missile, 1960s tech surface area missile. It has no. It has very limited. It has. It's just floating up there taking pictures, like flying at not very fast speed. At, you know. Um, it's it's a sitting duck, basically. You know what I mean? Okay. It's just, right. it's just a big it's a big paper airplane, basically. Okay. Just flopping around up there. Anyway, so we'll see. I'm sure at some point we're going to get because the conditions will probably prevail at some point. Where if Iran had anything, known unknowns. If Iran had <laughs> known unknowns, known this unknowns. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> there's the known. Un, there's the known knowns, and the. There's also the unknown unknowns to mm. think what we're talking about. No. Uh, anyway, yes. So we'll have to wait and see. But it's definitely going to be a, a rocky, uh, a bumpy, a bumpy next month or two or three or whatever. Um, so don't, uh, don't make any big plans to, to do anything. Don't go for a cruise in the Middle East. Don't, don't go on cruises in the Middle East. Um, anyway, don't plan one. Wait and see. Uh, yeah, pr- pray for Gaza. That's all you can do. You, was it twenty two thousand? What year was it? They tried to send a fleet of um, private fishing boats to Gaza the with, with, with Mara, the, yeah. yeah humanitarian aid. The Israelis, the Israelis either did they they killed some of those Someone, activists. Yeah. And took the rest. Beat the crap out of them. Beat the crap out of them and took them to Israel. Mm -hmm. 
That's how long that place has been sealed off. 2012. It's 2000, people have tried. People have tried. 2005, it's been sealed up. It was 2005 when they left Gaza under mm. Sharon. I think it was 2009 or 2010 when the... Yeah, the, the yeah. flotilla, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so that's an example of the Palestinian movement that's been very strong mm. all, throughout, all throughout the past 20, 30 years. You know what I mean? That they cannot, like, they have a large network and you know, significant resources, fundraising resources and all that kind of stuff, and they can basically... Get a boat, either donate it or buy it, or whatever a significant yacht, basically, yeah. uh, and and um, we'll put twenty, thirty people on it with full of supplies and sell it over from. Uh, I think I think one boat got through, one or two. Sell it from Greece over there. A few, there were more than one, yeah. So, yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. What did the earthquake say when it was done? I'm tr- I'm trembling. Sorry, my fault. Ah, ooh, that's horrible. Where do you come up with these jokes? You just sent me better jokes. Um, anyway, I think we'll leave it there for this week, folks. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, we'll be back next week with another one. And, you know, if we all survive, that is. Yeah. If not, uh, good luck. It was nice knowing you. But until then, hopefully we'll, um, yeah, have a good week and stay safe and keep your eyes on, well, on everything. See ya. Till next week. Bye, everyone. Can't stop the signal now. Mm-hmm.